It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Corey Davis, wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. Hill hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang. Over at JetsInsider.com, and above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Rob Grant. He says, regarding Zach Wilson's small frame, what do you think is the likely optimistic build he could develop in two to three years of working out with NFL trainers and dietitians? Is there a pro quarterback you could compare him to? I don't think his frame is that small. People are making so much of this. He's 6'2 215 pounds, a couple inches shorter than Trevor Lawrence, but thicker than him. He's not as thick as Justin Fields or Trey Lance, so he doesn't have their frames, but I'm not really that stressed about it, especially since even though he moves in and out of the pocket and did get a little too brave for his own good at college a few times, I think they're going to dial that back in the pros. And his style isn't such that he's going to be getting pounded all the time like a Ben Roethlisberger or a Cam Newton or something like that. And he has been working with some of the best dietitians and trainers for years. He's been doing it since he was in high school. When he was 16, he was 150 pounds. He was 215 pounds at his pro day, and I'm sure he'll continue to build up. So this isn't something that I would really concern myself with. Yeah, I've kind of gone through a similar thought process as you here because, you know, when it I first started watching Zach Wilson and we were, the conversation started growing around him, I thought, okay, yeah, he's going to need to fill out a bit. Uh, but, like, that's not an uncommon thing to be talking about with quarterbacks coming out of college. Uh, like, it was obvious that he was going to need to fill out a little bit and that, you know, he was – just a little frail, but not like anything that you should be really concerned about. And I see no reason why he can't easily add 10 to 15 pounds, um, you know, over over time and with an NFL diet and uh, getting, you know, exact uh, diet specifics, exactly what he's muscle mass building and all that stuff. I see no reason why, uh, to think that he wouldn't do that. Um, I, I I can't think of an exact, like a quarterback who really fits that, that that's done it in the past, but uh, there there's definitely been a bunch of them. And I went through the same thing I, I was thinking about, and I'm like, wait a second. Trevor Lawrence has is two, four inches taller, weighs less than him. And nobody's mentioning this with Trevor Lawrence. Um, so I kind of had that same visceral reaction, like, okay, people are getting a little carried away with this. Like, I think it would be ludicrous for anybody to say it's like zero concern about it, 
but like the concern should probably be like one to three percent. Like, um, it it should be low. I if it, if two years down the road he's struggling to put weight on, then maybe it's concerned. But I don't think there's any reason. Uh, you look at his frame; it's not like somebody who I'm like, oh, there's no way that he's gonna be able to add muscle mass on there. It's not like a Robbie Anderson frame, like where like I don't care what Robbie Anderson eats, what he does he's not going to be able to turn himself into this like this, like thick dude. It's just not going to happen. Zach Wilson's frame is not that like you there's it's there. You can see that there, there's room for his body to get thicker. And I, and I have no very, very little concern that it'll get there. Along those lines, Chris, I was curious your thoughts on this with Zach Wilson. How good does he have to be? For the fan base you think to be satisfied If he's Kirk Cousins Are people going to be disappointed If he's Dak Prescott Are people going to be disappointed If he's Matthew Stafford Are people going to be disappointed Does he have to be a top 5-ish type of quarterback For people to be content with that Would top 10 be enough Top 12 What do you think Because I feel like unless he's a superstar Or pretty close to it Fans are going to give him a hard time I don't think it would be justified because I would be perfectly fine if he ends up being another Dak Prescott or Matthew Stafford where he's not top five or six elite, but a top 10 quarterback for 10 to 15 years. You would hope for more than that. But if that's where he lands, that would be a real success as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? Yeah, this this is interesting, especially when you said the name Dak. I was like, oh, boy. Because like, <laughs> there, just like the Philip Rivers thing, there is such a fundamental misunderstanding of how good Dak Prescott is. Mm-hmm. And I know lots of Jets fans who don't think he's that good. And there's lots of Cowboys fans out there that's still thinking that. Um, and again, that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, what's going on there. Um, but you mentioned other names that, man, if, if, if he plays at Zach, Dak Prescott level, it, there's going to be a, a sizable enough portion of this fan base that it's going to be annoying to everybody that are that are going to hate on it. That that I think that's for, correct. Um, I I think you're going to probably you're probably going to have to be at least maybe not in the top five, but like knocking on that door top five for it to be like you know even close, clear, like a 70% approval rating there. Uh, fans just have such insanely high expectations, especially for a quarterback. <laughs> and they never factor in like how scarce the talent at that position is, um, how hard it is to actually get that. One thing I'll say that's going to help Zach Wilson end this though is I still, I be- genuinely truly believe this for the first time uh, as since I've covered this team that I think that Zach Wilson came here to the jets and that that is actually a very good landing spot for him or any other quarterback. I think the pieces are in place that he doesn't need to be a top five talent at quarterback for him to produce uh, enough to be like closer to that conversation or where people are happy enough with his play. 
um, you know, like a, a, someone like Jared Goff when the, the Rams went to the Super Bowl, Rams weren't – most Rams fans weren't being critical of him, even though I thought they should have been at the time. So I think you could see a similar situation, not saying that Zach Wilson's going to be Goff, but where everything around him elevates him to the point that it's not really concerned with fan bases, even if they are kind of feeling that that he hasn't reached the potential that they thought. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, what was your initial reaction to the Jets trading Jamal Adams for Elijah Vera Tucker and a top pick next year in what essentially became a three-team deal with Seattle and Minnesota and not a trade-up? And then he has a video explaining why it wasn't actually a trade-up. Michael, all due respect, buddy, it was a trade-up. I don't know what else to tell you, but that's what happened here. My initial reaction to the trade-up for Elijah Vera Tucker was good. <laughs> I'm glad they went and got the guy that they wanted. I did get a little nervous when I heard the news because I was wondering what they gave up to go get this pick. But once I heard it was two-thirds and they got a fourth back, I was fine with it if they really liked Vera Tucker. I assumed it was probably either Vera Tucker or Tevin Jenkins that they were doing this for. I also thought it could have been Newsom because at that point the other two corners had gone off the board. But I thought it was more likely it was an offensive lineman and probably Elijah Vera Tucker. So I liked the move. I was a little nervous when I heard about it just because I didn't know what they gave up. But once I heard that, I was totally cool with it. Yeah, I uh, my thought process, I see the trade uh, the trade comes in and I my immediate uh, they're trading for Elijah Vera Tucker. There is no doubt in my mind that's what they were doing. And then I was like, all right, let's see. Uh, I was like, I like the decision to move up. Let's see what they gave up. And then I saw the terms on it and I immediately started laughing because I was just like, oh, they just gave up the the Jamal Adams pick and their third round pick, and that that I was just like, okay. So I I started laughing because uh, that I'm not even sure why, but for some reason that was funny to me. Um, but that and that again, that's what I I was talking about earlier. You build up picks, so yes, you get more cracks at getting it right and draft more players. You're going to get more right, but you also like having the arsenal there. So if there is a special <clears throat> circumstance situation that uh, you're ready and you have the arsenal to move up there and package and do it. So I, I definitely thought it was funny that uh, it was the Jamal trade. But, yeah, I mean, you move up from 23 to 14. I don't care what it is that happens. That's a trade up. And uh, But, again, I, I think it was the right move. And to be able to uh, – to, it's much easier to swallow when you're saying – we just gave up our third round pick and then that extra third round that we got from Seattle. That it makes it a little easier to swallow. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, how would you rate the other AFC East teams drafts and what player are you most afraid about the Jets facing? It seems like Douglas in the front office have major confidence in McGovern and Fant bypassing players at offensive line the last two years. Were you surprised they didn't draft another offensive lineman? I don't know that it's necessarily that they have that much confidence in Fant and McGovern. I think it's just that they feel like they are okay for this year with those two guys and that they can reassess the situation after this year. They just didn't want to pass on certain players that they really, really liked, Elijah Moore being one of them. I know that they were extremely high on Elijah Moore and they most likely would have taken him at 23 if they hadn't traded up. We've talked about this. As far as the player that makes me nervous... This is a tough one. Long term, 
it's probably Mac Jones because I think he has a chance to be a good quarterback and with the right pieces around him, he could help New England get back to perpetual playoff team. However, in the short run, I would say it's probably Jalen Phillips because that's a guy that could potentially create havoc for Zach Wilson, especially if they line him up on the right side. There'll be some opportunities for him there. I'm not as worried if he's going up against Becton, but he might be able to get the best of Fant, who I think is more or less an okay tackle. So I would say just off the top of my head, Jalen Phillips, probably the guy from this draft class for these teams in the division that makes me the most nervous, but in the long run might be Mac Jones only because I think he could help stabilize that quarterback position for the Patriots. Yeah. So I like, I really like the, the bills. I really like the Carlos Basham jr. Pick. Uh, that's my favorite pick of theirs uh, for the Patriots. I really like Christian Barmore the pick there. I'm not scared of Mac Jones at all, not even the slightest bit. I I don't think Jets fans should be even the teeniest, tiniest, slightest bit scared of that. Um, Jalen Phillips is the answer here if he's healthy. Um, But factoring health, Jalen Waddell is my answer. Uh, Either way you go with it, my answer is going to be a Jalen. It's either Jalen Phillips or Jalen Waddell. That uh, I think Jalen Waddle is, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be an exceptional receiver. And Jalen Phillips, uh, I I love the player. It's just I have way too many injury concerns, especially concussions, to really feel comfortable about that. But uh, it's one of the Jalen's for me. That's why I said short term and long term here, Chris, because short term, I think Jalen Phillips can make a real impact. Long term is where I'm a little bit nervous for him because of the concussions and what could happen down the line. I love Jalen Waddle, and I think he's going to make the Jets pay plenty. But we've talked about this many times. First and foremost, the main thing here is to build the quarterback's confidence. And I think that Jalen Phillips has a chance to maybe rattle that, whereas Jalen Waddle can make some plays and help Miami win games. But if we're talking about the long-term goal here for the Jets, or at least even the short-term goal of building up Zach Wilson, Jalen Phillips could do a lot more to derail that than Jalen Waddle could, right? Yeah, that's that's fair. If you're looking at it just I, – I was just looking at it as who would be the best players from there. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at it from that aspect, Jalen Phillips definitely has uh, – and I'll even say Christian Barmore probably has more of a direct – impact on Zach Wilson there than uh, Jalen Waddle does but yeah I, I if, if that's the case uh, that looking at it that way then yeah Jalen Phillips for sure yeah the only reason I said that is because the question was which guy are you the most scared of the Jets facing so that's why I answered it in that regard but I do think that Jalen Waddle is going to be a really really good player And I think it's crazy how much criticism the Dolphins have gotten over that pick. I think Waddle has a chance to potentially even be the best receiver in this draft class if he can stay healthy. That's the big question. I obviously don't have access to his medical records or anything like that. Next question comes in from Busy. He says, looking into the Zach Wilson-esque accurate crystal ball, who do you think the Jets' number one receiver is going to be this season when they make the playoffs? (laughs) I don't know if there's going to be a true number one. I think they'll spread the ball around quite a bit. I think the long-term number one is going to be Elijah Moore. But this season, if I were to be asked who I think will have the most production, probably Corey Davis. Yeah, uh, well, the answer to this, this question is really nobody because <laughs> the Jets aren't making the playoffs. Um, but, it, yeah, I 
Corey Davis, I'd, I'd put money on him being the safest bet uh, answer to this question for this year. Uh, but I think if Denzel Mims can stay healthy, he's got a real good shot at taking that. Um, Elijah Moore long-term would be there. I just, to see, I have no expectations that he's going to come in here and just be the number one receiver right off the bat. That That's asking too much. <laughs> so I just think there's going to be a comfort level for Zach Wilson with Corey Davis, with his frame and size. Um, and now if you tell me that Denzel Mims is, is definitely 100% going to make it through the season healthy, I'd be more inclined to uh, put a little bit – push my chips a little bit more in Denzel Mims. But um, I, I think Corey Davis is a little bit of the safer pick there. Denzel Mims would be a, a little bit more of my underdog there. But I think that there's a decent chance that he could end up as the number one receiver this year. Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He says, everybody's quick to jump on Joe Douglas for making frivolous trades, swapping picks in late rounds, but sometimes a GM does things for other GMs to buy goodwill. Every trade isn't our GM's initiative. It's smart to be cooperative where possible. I don't think that's what it was. Honestly, I just don't think that there was anybody they really wanted. So when somebody called up and made an offer, they were like, okay, that really seems to me to be more of what it is than doing some other GM a favor. Yeah, and it's it's funny too because well, we've joked about this. Me and you have been joking about this about how everyone Joe Douglas does one move, and then everyone's uh, is like, "Oh, we know this. This is how Joe Douglas is going to operate now and forever." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, you, he's still real young in the process, and he's not just every single decision is a separate decision. It's a uh, it's not he's not just saying, "Oh, well, I didn't trade up this time last year, so I'm not going to." No, it's a unique situation. And uh, the thing with Joe Douglas, and this is why I, I, I have so much confidence in him, is he plays the board. He's waiting to see how the board unfolds. And if he sees value to worth trading up to go get a guy, then he will pounce. If he doesn't see the value in staying put and taking somebody right there, he will drop down, <laughs> pick up some extra picks, and then um, uh, when the player and the value match up, then he will make that pick. So he's not going to force something. He's not going to just trade up just to trade up. The value, <clears throat> the position, need everything needs to line up for that to happen. And he's going to be willing to drop down uh, if the value isn't on board for him there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of draft strategies. Just stay put draft best player available. But again, every pick, every decision is going to be a unique situation. And he waits and he looks around the board. Who else is still left at these positions? How much of a drop-off is there? He's doing that. He's not trading, uh, you know, <clears throat> a, a, a fifth-round draft pick, trading down and that to, to help another GM out. He's, he's doing that because the value doesn't match up at that spot. Next question comes in from Coffee and Jets. He says, what should we do for the next few months? Mock drafts? 
Who you got at right tackle and edge, LOL. More interestingly, though, which pick will turn out to be higher next year, the Jets pick or the Seattle pick? So I'm not really on the 2022 mock draft situation yet. We'll get into that way later. And hopefully when I say way later, I mean way later because I would like to still be focusing on the actual games late in the season for a change. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case for a while. The only thing I have for you in terms of tackles and edges for now because I haven't really dug in on these guys is Kayvon Thibodeau the edge rusher from Oregon I know a fair amount about him and thank you to my friend Alex Kirshner who's a producer over at NBC Sports Northwest for enlightening me about Thibodeau and for tipping me off to Penny Sewell well before most people were talking about him so I'm going to look a little bit at Thibodeau, but to be fair, I'm really hoping that the Jets aren't in position to draft him because as of now, it sounds like he's probably going to be a top five or top 10 pick. But then again, you never know with these things. We all thought Gregory Rousseau was going to be a top five or top 10 pick, and he ended up sliding all the way to number 30 to the Bills. So that's the only name I have for you right now. And as far as which pick is going to be higher, the Jets or the Seahawks, I would say that unless the Seahawks trade Russell Wilson, the Jets pick is still going to be higher and probably significantly higher. Yeah, I thank you for pronouncing his name because I wasn't sure how to pronounce that his name. <laughs> um, and then I, I saw another 2022 mock draft that had the, the Jets taking Derek Stingley Jr. And I was like, oh, well, I know that player. I've watched enough of LSU to know him <laughs> and he's going to be really good. But yeah, that's about the extent of my 2022 draft knowledge right there. Um, yeah. You, obviously the attention is going to turn to that at some point. And it's probably going to turn there at some point in the season. You just don't want it to be, you know, the first four weeks of the season. Um, <laughs> you want to uh, be able to see a, a, enough of these college players play out throughout the season. Like maybe like around when they're getting ready to go into the college football playoffs that, and you've seen enough and you can start dreaming about who you want them to take. But uh, I, I don't expect them to be doing uh for you to be like thirsting for that information within the first four weeks, uh, like we we're used to, and uh, yeah, the uh, the Jets and the Seahawks, who's which pick is going to be higher? Is this because again, the NFC West is is a stacked division too. AFC East, the they're probably the two toughest divisions uh, in football this coming season. Um, I don't think the Seahawks did a lot of good, but they still have Russell Wilson. So I, I'm, I'd still say the Jets pick will be higher, but it, it's going to be, it's, I'll say this much. It's definitely going to be a lot closer than anybody expected at the time that trade was made. That's going to wrap up part two of the mailbag. Make sure that you're following Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider and reading his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And check out everything we're doing over at PlayLikeAJet.com. Luke Grant's got an over-under betting guide if you want to get in on the action early and start betting on some of these teams over-under win totals for the 2021 season. And speaking of Luke, he's doing some great work on our YouTube channel right now. Film breakdowns of Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson against Utah. They were the number 11 ranked defense in 2019. So he's got a whole all 22 film review of that particular game. He's got one of Michael Carter as well and so much more. Plus Kayla Pace's commentaries, Pace's playbook. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And make sure you give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. 
easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com.